Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And on your screen before you is a thumbnail from a YouTuber by the name of Totally Not Mark, which of course is where I got my own thumbnail name from, who has a problem. And that problem is that 150 of his anime criticism review videos, namely about Toy's Dragon Ball anime series, have been pulled down from YouTube by using the YouTube content ID system, a system we've talked about before here in Virtual Legality, and which we're going to talk about again. But we're also hopefully going to be clearing up some misconceptions about how fair use international law, international creation of copyrighted materials works. So please hang in there with us. Before we get into the specifics, though, I do want to remind folks this is a Patreon-supported channel. Every little bit of help helps support this channel and the conversations we have there. And a tier in that Patreon support is the ability to sponsor a channel per month. And today's sponsor is Nord. I want to give special thanks to Nord for helping make these conversations possible. Thanks, Nord. Now, in terms of Mr. Totally Not Mark's issue, he has a video up. It's about nine minutes long. It will, of course, be linked in this description that he explains that these videos were pulled down over a course of a very short amount of time overnight by the creators of the Dragon Ball series, Toy animation. Now, there's no objection to the fact that Toy owns that particular series, has the rights to it, made it. But as we've talked about a lot in this space, the question becomes what is and is not fair use. And as part of this nine minute video, Totally Not Mark talks about the fact that he's been trying to comply with fair use concepts. And I don't believe he's American. I believe he's Irish. So we'll be talking about both as part of this video. And that nevertheless, his videos still got removed with nary a reference to fair use at all. This was reported on in a number of places, but I want to bring your attention specifically to the Kotaku article because I think it was the most widely disseminated and it creates the most ambiguity with what is actually happening here, so much so that I felt it necessary to actually make this video. Now, this article is entitled YouTuber Hit with 150 Copyright Claims for Reviews Featuring Anime Footage. Even that isn't fully accurate insofar as these appear to be content ID claims. They don't be uh, strikes on the YouTube system. We'll talk about the difference there in just a second. But this article says YouTuber Mark Fitzpatrick of Totally Not Mark has made a name for himself with his manga and anime videos on YouTube. His reviews edit together montages from whatever he's reviewing or critiquing as he expounds his thoughts in voiceover. In this video from a day ago, he says, over the last 24 hours, I've sat back in disbelief, shock, and sorrow as my life's work has been unfairly ripped from me. Totally Not Mark is a popular anime YouTuber with well over half a million subscribers. Two nights ago, I received an email notifying me that 15 of my videos had been copyright claimed and blocked by Toy Animation. One hour later, that number rose to 28. And when I woke up this morning, it had reached a total of 150 videos that my audience can no longer see and that I can no longer monetize. And again, that phrasing of copyright claim becomes a little bit problematic, primarily of YouTube's own doing. So keep that in mind as we start to talk about the difference between content ID and copyright strikes, which actually requires a certain amount of legal compliance that YouTube does not require on the content ID side. Note, says Kotaku, that a handful of those videos did not feature any anime clips, but rather were how to draw explainers, presumably of Toy's material. For context, Mark explained that because he and his team work on one video a week, the 150 block videos are equal to nearly three years of work. As a result, the main source of my company's income is now gone. And he also talks about the fact that it's the holiday season. This is how he works to feed his family. And of course, that's a very sympathetic argument. 
In his response, Mark says that he ensures that he and his employees adhere to policy regarding fair dealing and fair use as outlined by YouTube, his own country and other countries. This may be true, says Kotaku. However, copyright law in Japan is different. And then we're not going to bother you with Kotaku's foray into Japanese moral rights law, which isn't quite the same as copyright, but it's close enough to be kissing cousins because none of it actually matters to this conversation. Japanese copyright law, what they actually reference here is a presentation at Fordham from 20 years ago about specific court cases that highlight some of the differences between the United States law and Japanese law on these questions. There's no argument that every country in the world has different copyright laws protecting intellectual property in different ways from each other. And yet, if you sit back and ask yourself, well, why isn't it a lot harder to get stuff up on the internet, particularly the United States-based companies like YouTube that are governed by United States law? The answer is because you don't get protection for every specific jurisdiction because you're protected in one. So even if you're protected under moral rights laws, even if you're protected under whatever other piece of statutory code exists in your jurisdiction, the folks that are using fair use to comment on what you made in the United States or in Ireland have to abide by their laws. And if you want to seek protection in those jurisdictions, you have to figure out how to do so through those laws. This is a thousand plus word sojourn to nowhere. Now it might mean that Toy has the ability to block what it wants to block with respect to the Japanese geography, it doesn't change a damn thing about how they operate in other countries. And there's a whole host of treaties and conventions and all sorts of things that cover this, and it's far too complicated for what I hope to be a fairly succinct YouTube video. But suffice it to say, the journey to understanding what happened here does not begin nor end with how Japanese law might apply. It's the same reason that if you use something that was made in Russia or the Ukraine or Afghanistan or Iraq or Japan or Canada or Mexico, what you're talking about complying with when you upload that to YouTube, at least in the instant case, is making sure you do it in compliance with the laws that cover protection in the jurisdiction you're operating in. Doesn't mean they can't do something in the jurisdictions they're operating in, but in terms of global intervention, that is and forever and always will be a potential problem if you've got fair use and fair dealing rights. Now, before we talk about the specifics here, I do want to mention that I was concerned before I got into the, looking at this that we might be looking at some kind of Reacts YouTuber. I'm not familiar with Totally Not Mark, so I apologize for that. But we have, of course, covered this question in this space fairly often. Here we have MXR Plays, really the first video in virtual legality that got popular, talking about fair use, whether somebody could extort complaints against you. And this was a Reacts video. This was, I believe, some volcano footage. And we were talking about the difference between how transformative works work with real life events. We've also talked about the problem with reaction videos in general, where you put an episode of something in the corner and you smile at it or you go, or those kinds of things on YouTube, which a lot of people enjoy, but really do run afoul of the issues. We also talked about the fact that you can't copyright your face. We've done a lot of talking about these kinds of things in this space. So it was gratifying to see that Totally Not Mark's content isn't that. Totally Not Mark's content is, as best I can tell, and I just pulled a couple of samples, a critique as we would expect it in the YouTube space. It uses a lot of footage from whatever it is he's talking about, but mostly it sounds a little something like this. 
in a nutshell, my reaction to it was, oh my god, this is so long. We don't have volume no, for that. That's really fine. Sad, isn't it? Either way, and finally, the introduction it isn't the of a new kind character of thing that we're worried about when we're talking about someone just looking at a box was in the corner doing those videos. There's a lot of editing. There's a lot of specially transformative things happening. I can't, as I've said before in virtual legality, promise you that a court somewhere will find it to be fair use. But on the spectrum of fair use cases, this looks a lot more to me and my eye like fair use than somebody just looking at something in the corner of their screen, right? So he says he's trying to comply with fair use and fair dealing. There's no reason to disbelieve him. The other stuff survives on his channel. And certainly if you're going to strike someone through a legal process, if you're going to actually act against someone and pull their materials down, you need to be thinking about whether or not you have a legitimate claim in the jurisdiction you're going to be operating in. Not just Japan, but what does this look like in the United States? What does this look like in Ireland or the European Union? Do you have the rights to do what you just tried to do? And regardless of where your home base lives, that won't control the question. As we see here, YouTube says in its terms of service, it's governed by California law. And that doesn't mean it necessarily binds someone who's not otherwise providing services to YouTube in this capacity. But it is worth noting that the United States is going to be your baseline approach to YouTube issues. And most importantly, there is no such thing as international copyright, which the U.S. Copyright Office is very happy to tell you if you go and look up these kinds of things. There is no such thing as an international copyright, they say, that will automatically protect an author's writings throughout the world. Protection against unauthorized use in a particular country depends on what? Depends on the national laws of that country. So there are conventions. You might hear reference to burn. You might hear reference to UCC or just general world intellectual property organizations or even world trade organizations, depending on what you are looking up. And this is an enormously com complicated area of law. So don't get lost in the weeds there. If you have an issue, as I say at the end of all my videos here in virtual legality, contact your own counsel. But it certainly isn't the case that I'm protected where I live means I can enforce my jurisdiction's laws on everybody across the globe. That is not the way. In fact, the U.S. Copyright Office here talks to folks about, hey, if you want your copyright of a U.S. work protected elsewhere, what do you have to worry about? It says, if you seek copyright protection for your U.S. work in another country, it is important to determine the points of attachment under the country's copyright system. Will they protect you? And that's what those treaties and conventions are for. If possible, do this work for your work is published anywhere because protection may depend on facts existing at the time that you publish. The scope of protection in available in that country, the other jurisdiction, will then turn on the substantive provisions available under that country's law and practice. Keep in mind, some countries offer little or no copyright protection to foreign works. These are conversations that happen all the time with cross-border transactions, whether it's in my neck of the woods in mergers and acquisitions or just publishing a book that you wish to go out elsewhere. The internet creates problems for all of this and copyright and intellectual property in general hasn't solved them. But what we do know is the fact that Japanese law might not allow for the use case that Totally Not Mark wants doesn't mean that that Japanese company can go and say he can't put it out anywhere in the world. That is not how this works. Now, if the reference to the national laws of that country makes you think of certain things, makes you think of things like fair use, you're on the right track. We've talked about it here. The United States allows for the fair use of a copyrighted work for purposes such as criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, etc. There'd be an analysis here if it came to it. 
purpose and character of the use clearly seems to be criticism and commentary. Nature of the copyrighted work, fully fictional, built by toys. So that makes sense to be protected. That's going to lean towards them. A mountain substantiality is something that really won't be adjudicated on this kind of topic. I will say, looking at the videos that Totally Not Mark makes, they are pretty much wholly the works of other folks, but they are rearranged. They are specifically edited to point out whatever it is he's discussing. I tend to think that that's probably transformative and you're getting into a place where he's going to be covered by fair use. Reasonable minds can differ there. You're always taking on a risk, but it certainly seems like something that needs to be contemplated. And as part of Totally Dumb Mark's video, he points out that these videos were getting struck within seconds and minutes of each other. Definitely not affording the copyright holder the ability to actually evaluate fair use in every instance and definitely belying the fact that they didn't do so in this context. Similarly, if you're sitting back and saying, Rick, the United States might not apply. Sure, YouTube operates in the United States, but Totally Not Mark doesn't appear to be in the United States. And in fact, I don't know where Totally Not Mark lives. I always have a problem with like looking up addresses and seeing that. He's got an Irish accent. There are Irish references to him. He talks about fair dealing in the video itself. So we can look at what fair dealing is as we have in the past on this channel. And we see that it's very similar to fair use. Fair dealing is a concept in common law jurisdictions like the UK, Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, India. In the US, the equivalent concept is known as fair use. Great. Fair dealing is not a right, but a defense to a charge of infringement, which confuses things a little bit. The United States, this is fine, which in Ireland is permitted only for the following purposes. Research. No, probably not research. Private study. No. Criticism and review. All right. We got it. Fair dealing is defined as making use for a purpose and to an extent which will not unreasonably prejudice the interest of the owner of the copyright. And it may be helpful to consider the three-step test found in the Berne Convention, a pretty old convention which states that the use must be a special case, not conflict with normal exploitation of the work, and not unreasonably prejudice the legitimate interests of the rights holder. That's useful. It's not actually governing the individual jurisdictions like Ireland, the UK, or elsewise. And so you get into this conversation. Okay, this certainly looks more like fair use than some of those reaction videos, certainly like other things that appear on YouTube. And we now know that Toy was striking these particular videos at a very rapid clip, clearly by automated processes, that didn't give any effect to fair dealing in Ireland or fair use in the United States, and nevertheless issued a global block on the use of those copyrights. Now, you might also say, Rick, we got them. Okay, that seems to be a big time legal issue, and it is. But the content ID system at YouTube is not a legal one. It looks a lot like the DMCA. It smells a lot like federal laws that you might be familiar with, either at the United States or other jurisdictional levels. It is not. It is something that YouTube wraps around its own service on a contractual basis, which means we're stuck in YouTube land. And it's also the reason that I called out YouTube in the thumbnail to this video and not Japan, not Kotaku, not anybody else. So first we have to understand the difference between a copyright takedown and a content ID claim as told to us by YouTube itself. Owners can manage their copyright interests on YouTube either by issuing a copyright takedown or if they have access to the content ID tool by claiming a video and setting a policy to track it by collecting stats, monetize it by placing ads and collecting ad revenue, or block it by making it unavailable where? In some territories. Copyright takedowns. Copyright law requires sites like YouTube to process takedown requests and describes the process we must follow. This is a little bit inaccurate as we've talked about in virtual legality. It doesn't require YouTube to do anything. It's just incentivizing YouTube if they want some shields from liability to do the things that they ask, doesn't require it. But 
that's fine, neither here nor there. This is the legal framework. Copyright takedowns is how YouTube talks about the DMCA, which you might be familiar with, in which a copyright holder actually submits a notification that says, hey, we're signing this. We've identified what is infringing. We're talking about what's infringing as part of the video. We give you sufficient information to contact us. And most importantly, we give you a statement that we have a good faith belief that use of the material in the manner complained of is not authorized by us or the law a statement that the information in the notification is accurate and under penalty of perjury that the complaining party is authorized to act on behalf of the owner of an exclusive right that is allegedly infringed. Effectively, the person submitting the notice has the rights to submit that notice. And that's protected under the statute here in the United States by a fairly toothless provision, but one that's in existence that says any person who knowingly materially misrepresents under this section that it's infringing or that material activity was removed or disabled by mistake or misidentification shall be liable for damages. Hey, did you lie in reporting about whether or not infringement is happening here? You could be liable for claiming that it's infringing by not taking into account fair use or fair dealing. That's the legal system. That requires statements under penalty of perjury. You actually having to sign and certify certain things. But we're not talking about that. Instead, we're talking about content ID, which YouTube describes as follows. Unlike takedowns, which are defined by law, content ID is a YouTube system that is made possible by deals made between YouTube and content partners who have uploaded material they own to our database. We're not dealing with laws anymore. We're dealing with YouTube and their salient wisdom over all things, which if you're familiar with YouTube's salient wisdom over all things, creates a potential problem. And it's a problem we're seeing writ large with Totally Not Mark. Let's get into a little bit more of the process because we're going to take a trip down a labyrinth that you'll see the issues with almost immediately. What is a content ID claim? These claims are automatically generated uh oh, when an uploaded video matches another video or part of another video in our content ID system. Copyright owners can set content ID to block uploads that match a copyrighted work they own the rights to. They can also allow the claimed content to remain on YouTube with ads. In these cases, the advertising revenue goes to the copyright owners of the claimed content. Am I in trouble if my video has a content ID claim? Probably not. Content ID claims usually mean we found content on your YouTube channel that someone else owns. If copyright owners don't want their content reused, they can choose to block your video, which means people can't watch it, which is what's happening here. Now note that YouTube makes an important statement here because this is an important part of the process. Your video could be blocked worldwide or just in certain countries or regions. Toy can 100% say Japanese law does not protect your use. Okay, we're going to block it in Japan. And we're going to pick out the jurisdictions that we think don't afford you the protections that you need. But you're in Ireland. You're broadcasting to places like the United States that have fair use, have fair dealing concepts. And so we have to take that into account when we choose to use the system. Only they don't. At least not anything that you can see here. We'll see that YouTube has guidelines and promises about how this works that would seem to apply in this situation. But overall, you get a copy, uh, a content ID copy notification. They can choose to block you without any other reference to what we saw as protections in the law itself. Continuing, how does this look from the perspective of the content creator? And we saw Totally Not Mark reference how bad this is, but we can actually see it even more significantly in how YouTube describes its own situation. So you get a content ID claim as Totally Mark, Not Mark just did. 
How do you dispute it? Well, you can file a dispute, but YouTube has a warning. Look at this. Look at this exclamation point. They want to warn you. Learn about the public domain exceptions to copyright, such as fair use or fair dealing, and common questions about fair use before you file a dispute. It's interesting. They want you to learn about fair use, even though they've accused you, the copyright holder, of infringing before you dispute it. YouTube can't help you decide whether you should dispute a claim. If you're not sure what to do, you may want to seek your own legal advice. Now, the reason they're saying that, even though they also said in an earlier window that their process here is not a legal one, it's separate from all of that, is because all of the things here end at the DMCA. We'll see that. Everything ends at the DMCA, and they want to put this warning out in front of creators because if you don't know what you're doing and you wind up in front of the DMCA, that can cause real problems for you. Now, you want to dispute. So you go through these buttons, you hit dispute. After you submit your dispute, the copyright owner has 30 days to respond. Now, understand, the copyright holder can be absolutely crazy, can have no rights. I told you that there's a lot of substance used in respect of these videos from Totally Not Mark. I still think they are likely to fall on the fair use side of the spectrum, but I can't promise you that from any given court or judge or elsewise. You look at one of these things, it is a problem if a party can come in and claim infringement, can use a content ID system on an automated basis, not be responsible for its actions, and they get a 30-day window to not do anything while you try to dispute it. 30 days isn't where it ends, though, because while they're considering what to do, they can wait till the 30th day, then they can reinstate their claim. Then we move on from the dispute to the appeal, and then from the appeal, they get another 30 days to respond. So you might not have done anything wrong, and if it matches content ID-wise, regardless of fair use, regardless of fair dealing, they can hold up your video for 60 days. Now we talk a lot about chilling effects here in this space in virtual legality. This is a massive, massive chilling effect. They have to offer no proof. They have to no offer no attestation. They are not making claims under penalty of perjury. All that is preventing them from abusing this system is YouTube and whether YouTube wants to police the way this system is used. And we'll see some threats and some threatening language from YouTube in a little bit, but YouTube is clearly right now abdicating, maybe not its responsibility, but its ethical obligation to protect the people that it is otherwise attracted to give value to its services by not arguing against abusive behavior using the system they created and which they say is policed by them. We'll see that in a second. Either way, you're 60 days later now and the other side doesn't have to have any kind of reasonable claim because YouTube isn't evaluating it. And at the end of that period, then we start to get into actual legal action. At that point, they can request the immediate removal of your video. They can issue a copyright takedown request. They pop over to the legal side of this and you'll get a copyright strike on your account. So YouTube is adding to the leverage here, right? Not only do they not have to make a legitimate complaint for 60 days and hold you up, they can then go to the DMCA, which admittedly is more potentially fraught for them because there's at least some bit of statutory code that says don't lie. And if they do that, YouTube's just gonna put a copyright strike on. They're not evaluating it. They're not figuring it out. They're just putting a strike down. And if you're familiar with YouTube, you get three of those and you could lose your entire livelihood on the platform. This is the danger of working through a third party platforms. If you're totally not Mark, if you've got years and years and years of stuff on this platform, probably you're evaluating whether or not you should at least be mirroring your content, if not creating a website of your own, if you've got that level of popularity. Next, YouTube says, but they can push that out for a couple of days, right? We've done the 60 days. 
we can give you another seven days for you to decide to back off. If the copyright owner issues a scheduled copyright takedown request, you could cancel your appeal within seven days. By canceling, you'll prevent the takedown and you won't get a copyright strike. And nothing would have been evaluated, adjudicated, or otherwise looked at because all the protection you get from this process, which you'd have to have a lawyer to even figure out what buttons to hit, is that YouTube promises to make sure they don't abuse things, right? They say, well, there's going to be qualifications for content ID. It says copyright owners have to give evidence of the copyrighted content for which they control exclusive rights. Content ID will match reference content against every upload to YouTube. Copyright owners must have the exclusive rights of the material that's evaluated. Common examples of things that aren't exclusive is mashups, video game play, unlicensed music, music that was licensed without exclusivity, etc. And, and understand what this is talking about. Toy absolutely is the exclusive rights holder to Dragon Ball. Maybe. Do they hold all the license rights to the music in Dragon Ball? I don't know. There's often questions that arise with these kinds of things with video games, but they have to tell YouTube that we own every single right to this particular anime series. And and chances are that they do for all practical purposes. And then they put that up in a database and then YouTube matches it up all the time and then tells you when there's a content ID problem. And then you can manually block, you can manually push for problems with this if you're a toy and you can tell them exactly what you want to do, which is what happened here. If a copyright owner is approved for content ID, they'll have to complete an agreement with YouTube. This agreement will explicitly state that only content with exclusive rights can be used for reference and they'll need to give the geographic locations of exclusive ownership, if not worldwide. Now, this doesn't actually protect the content creator as you might hope because toy is going to be the exclusive owner in Japan, and they're also the exclusive owner in the United States, but the laws that govern how their property can be used differ. So this qualification, even though it's big and long, and YouTube says, look at this, if you're worried about how Content ID operates, it doesn't actually protect the content creator as you would hope. It doesn't require them to look at fair use, not explicitly in these kinds of contexts. And the only protection you start to get is from other descriptions that are buried in YouTube help. Here we have another description of content ID in respect of the tools that a copyright holder can use. It says, if content ID finds content that matches one of your works, you can choose actions to take, such as blocking, monetizing, and tracking. These actions can be specific to a country and region. For example, a video may be monetized in one and blocked or tracked in another. This is important. Toy can't go out there, according to YouTube, and say, well, our only choice was to block it everywhere, even if we only had the rights in Japan or elsewhere. That isn't the case. YouTube is at least telling the world they built a system that allowed you to click the buttons where you actually have the rights and toys simply didn't do that. And YouTube's aware that this presents an absolutely fraught risk for content creators. They have notes and notes don't really rise to the level of legal obligations, but we can hope they're reflected in that quote unquote agreement that they enter into where YouTube says even unintentional misuse of content ID can have serious consequences for YouTube and creators. This looks terrible. YouTube says, YouTube says, Hogue is making a video about us. How can we take that pressure? Don't do it. Content ID comes with complex controls that require ongoing management and an advanced understanding of copyright. These are not toys. You're dealing with people's livelihoods. You can't just go and click through block worldwide. You have to have an advanced understanding of copyright. And a lot of our people use third party service providers because you can really screw up lives. And YouTube doesn't mostly want to deal with it. So be careful, will you? And keep in mind, using any of these copyright management tools to submit a takedown request starts a legal process. Now that isn't fully accurate. There's a legal process involved, 
But at the start, it's a contractual process. You've made a promise to YouTube about how you're going to use these things. And yes, it can accelerate into a DMC notice, DMCA notice and a DMCA counter notice. And that's more days. It's 15 more days, et cetera, et cetera. YouTube also warns users of Content ID that misuse of any of these tools, such as submitting false information, may result in the suspension of your account or other legal consequences. And before submitting takedown requests, it's important to consider whether fair use, fair dealing, or other exceptions to copyright apply in each situation, in each jurisdiction. Remember, there is no international copyright law. If you want to hit something worldwide, you better be damn sure that you're going to use the buttons properly, says YouTube. But outside of this, notes and keep in mind, we don't get any of the protections that YouTube should otherwise be affording and making sure that the system they built isn't abused. You do get a little bit of that in terms of messaging to the content creators, but it isn't enough. It says YouTube accepts explicit guidelines on how to use content ID. We monitor content ID use and disputes on an ongoing basis to make sure these guidelines are followed and content owners who repeatedly make erroneous claims can have their content ID access disabled and their partnership with YouTube terminated. Now I told you, I can't say that every video there that was struck is totally fine for infringement purposes, is compliant with fair dealing and fair use. What I can tell you is that nobody on earth could evaluate the fair use or fair dealing within a video in a matter of seconds. And that it is clear based on what Totally Not Mark has said that this was an automated process that is repeatedly making erroneous claims insofar as it isn't taking into account the complex copyright laws that actually apply to the situation. Now, unfortunately, again, you might be sitting there saying, Rick, you got him. That's a really bad thing. And in fact, it is a really bad thing. And I made this video to talk about how YouTube set up this Byzantine labyrinth of processes that give enormous amounts of time to copyright holders to do exactly what's happening to Totally Not Mark in this instance. And yet, I have to finish off by saying, effectively, if you put your content on YouTube, you've agreed to how this operates, regardless of the DMCA and its lack of protections for you because it's not being used. Remember, as we've talked about in the terms of service with respect to YouTube, YouTube takes a very, very broad right to get rid of whatever it wants to get rid of. It says, if we reasonably believe that content is in breach or, and that or means that what we're about to talk about doesn't have to be in breach of this agreement, it may cause harm to YouTube or third parties we may remove or take down that content in our discretion. And we don't even have to tell you about it if we think that it would harm a user, other third-party YouTube, or our affiliates. So they have a very broad contractual right that you've entered into effectively by using the service and uploading videos to say, yeah, YouTube, you can have whatever systems you want in place. You can have whatever contracts you want in place. And if you decide, hey, we don't want to mess with toy, that'll harm YouTube. Or they just tell us it'll harm them. We're completely outside the copyright infringement regime. Your email might say it's for copyright infringement reasons, or it's a copyright strike, or it's a copyright takedown, or whatever phraseology they use to muddle what's actually happening. But at the end of the day, because YouTube reserves at its baseline a right to keep whatever videos it wants and to get rid of whatever videos it doesn't, it's a very difficult case to bring against YouTube. So what this video is about is not about suing YouTube, it's not about saying they don't potentially have the legal right to do what they want with content ID and otherwise. And I wanna take an aside here to say, 
Content ID, I don't think is a bad idea on its own. In fact, I think it's very useful in a number of respects. I think the person that wants to make the music video using a popular song to elaborate on their love of, I don't know, Farscape is doing something that they want to do, potentially getting more subscribers for the other content they want. And Content ID allows the music company to go and get the royalties that are properly owed to them without anybody getting sued, anybody going to jail, anybody having to deal with anything and more content gets created that's good. But on the opposite side of that, it is very, very dangerous to content creators. And YouTube does not appear to be policing it in the matter that they have promised they're going to police it. Or as the EFF says, content ID is so unforgiving, so punishing, so Byzantine that it results in a system where those who make videos, YouTubers, are so dependent on YouTube for audience access and promotion by its suggestion algorithm that they will avoid any action which would put their account in jeopardy. Obviously, I don't follow that rules, but I'm not a good YouTuber. Our growth is pretty slow for our size, but that's okay. As EFF continues, they say they will allow YouTube to demonetize their videos, avoid making fair use of copyrighted material that they want to use and endlessly edit and re-edit lawful expression just to meet the demands of YouTube's copyright filter. I've said in this space, I won't use certain words. I won't talk about certain topics for too long because YouTube does chill that kind of conversation. And I'm in the midst of looking for other places that I can have that conversation. But this is in fact the case. And when you've got a situation where a YouTuber goes out there and actually makes videos that are just ripped down and gets into this system, 150 videos at once, on an automated process, not complying by all appearances with the requirements of fair use and fair dealing evaluation that would be needed to make a block in all of these various jurisdictions, and YouTube backstops that as a legal process, you've got a problem. And regardless of what YouTube says about how they're policing the use of the content ID system, I have seen no evidence of it myself, and I welcome YouTube's eminent demonetization of a video like this. That said, I felt it was important to make. I feel very much for people that make content that improve our lives and get struck and get really run out of town by copyright holders that aren't doing their jobs and that clearly have the resources and money to do it right. YouTube should be helping. They aren't. And that's virtual legality for today. If you enjoy these conversations, or at least if you find value in them, I don't know if anybody enjoys hearing me fiery and going upset at YouTube on these kinds of issues, please consider supporting the channel at Patreon or other places. We've got other ways to support the channel listed below. And again, special thanks to Nord for helping sponsor this video specifically. Otherwise, just subscribing, telling your friends, upvoting, downvoting, doing whatever else you like to get this message out there every little bit is appreciated. If you did catch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.